Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me just say this off the top of the show today. Obviously, over the course of the last 24 hours, it has been a terrible time for our country. So much sadness, and you don't need me to tell you what that is and what that's all about. And, you know, sometimes when you sit down to do a show like this, a show that I legitimately love doing, in the face of something that reminds you of how small sports is in comparison to some of the bigger things going on in life, it can feel a little weird to try to do that because it's obviously running against the current of what so many people are thinking about, what so many people are talking about. And yet I also believe, as weird as all that sounds, that you know those are the moments when my job is maybe as important as ever because at a certain point in time, you do need a break from very serious things. And while I fully acknowledge there are things more serious than college football, Georgia football, and certainly more serious than whatever my opinion is in any given moment, you know, sometimes taking a break from all of that, just the kind of the right thing to do and a good thing to do. And that around here is what uh, what we do, even though my heart breaks like so many of yours does about what has happened. And hopefully in the face of this tragedy, I'm humble enough to say I have no idea uh, what to do about some of it. But uh, clearly, I want to provide a little bit of an outlet for people who want to escape that. And that's true in a day like this. And it's really kind of true uh, every other day there as well. So wanted to mention that off the top. Uh, we love everybody who's hurting and uh, we want to come together as a community, whether it be in Dog Nation or even extending beyond uh, all of that and just thought that was the thing to say here off the top of the program today. Now, awkward transition to the typical subject matter for us after that, but it is interesting to see that over the course of the last 24 hours, Georgia's path towards maybe securing a commitment from five-star quarterback Arch Manning has gotten a little clearer here, that maybe the door is even more open for Georgia to get Arch. And we've actually been covering this story now for a few weeks. But yesterday, it came to culmination. It came uh, to a head when Eli Holstein, who in his own right is a very good quarterback, and no one would deny that, but Holstein jumping the gun on what was supposed to be and maybe still will be a month's worth of visits uh, that Arch Manning has planned first to Georgia then to Alabama then to Texas but it almost seems like Manning may be out of the running at Alabama now and maybe he always was because yesterday Alabama accepted the commitment from Eli Holstein a four-star quarterback also out of uh, Louisiana. I'll show you this online here. Uh, ESPN talking it up. Landing Eli Holstein, the number 59 player on the ESPN uh, 300, which is not necessarily the industry standard when it comes to ranking players, but ESPN touts its own number there on that. He had originally committed to Jimbo Fish and the Aggies in uh, June of last year, but decommitted in March and uh, has been kind of seemingly trending towards Alabama all the way towards that time. And as I told you before, there are a lot of people, ourselves included here over the course of the last few weeks, who have used the Holstein trend towards Alabama as circumstantial evidence that maybe Alabama knew it wasn't getting Arch Manning. And the presence of the Holstein commitment now to Alabama as evidence that Alabama has kind of surrendered, waved the white flag in the Arch Manning recruitment. I'll show you Jeff Sintel here who had a good write-up on Holstein there on uh, dognation.com yesterday. Uh, Jeff saying that the decision made public by Holstein today largely makes this a two-team race between the Bulldogs and the Longhorns for the nation's number one overall prospect in the 2023 cycle. So Jeff Sintel articulating uh, from kind of a news standpoint, what we've expressed many times from an opinion standpoint, that Manning is more likely to come to Georgia now because one of the assumed three finalists for him appears to be no longer a finalist there in that regard. Now, I have said before that I believe the Manning recruitment to be a little bit of a bellwether for not just what matters in college ball right now, but where this sport is trending in the future. In recent years, it has been very easy for best quarterback, whoever that is, to kind of gravitate to a place like Alabama because of how successful they have been with their quarterbacks. And around here, we don't like giving Alabama credit because there's a thousand other shows that seem to be built around doing nothing but giving Alabama credit. We feel like that corner is well covered right now, so we don't really feel like we need to join the crowd of patting Alabama on the back for everything that it does. But when it comes to quarterback play, you have to acknowledge Alabama's been pretty good in that regard. And in on the basis of track record alone, a guy like Arch Manning choosing Alabama would seem to be the easy thing to do. 
unless it's no longer the easy thing to do because of where the sport might be heading. Nick Saban's 70 years old. I don't have to tell you that Saban is way closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning. In fact, I think that it's quite likely and, and highly probable that Nick Saban won't be the coach at Alabama for Arch Manning's full college career. So, I mean, he lasts three years, you know, whatever, the way that you know, these guys typically are supposed to do. I don't believe that Nick Saban's going to be the coach at Alabama for that full duration. I believe the Manning family probably knows that. I think that's why it was easier to eliminate Alabama from this discussion. That is just my opinion. That's not reporting, and you know the difference. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that's the case here. I just simply don't think Nick Saban's going to be sticking around Alabama for all that much longer. And for someone like Manning, who's doing his due diligence, that I believe is probably a part of their uh, deliberation process. So that leaves Georgia and Texas. You've heard me say before, there is a lot to like about Georgia in comparison to Texas. I have predicted that Manning will choose UGA because of problems, I think, that are just inherent with the uh, Texas program. Georgia just had 15 players drafted. Texas just had zero. Uh, You know, Georgia is kind of a buttoned-up, very professional program. Texas has been a little bit of a drama farm. Just this offseason alone, you've seen players calling on other players. You had the thing with Bo Davis a year ago, you know, uh, getting recorded on the bus. You know, Steve Sarkeesian's kind of shouted some of this kind of stuff down. There just seems to be a high tolerance for drama when it comes to Texas program. It's just a little bit weird. The motto, in fact, for the city of Austin, where UT is located, is keep Austin weird. And that seems to work for their, like, sort of cosmopolitan type image. But does the Manning family come across to you as a family that would be attracted to anything that's weird? I would say probably not. From that standpoint, to me, it's always seemed like eventually when it's all said and done, Texas is just going to be too weird for Arch Manning. I've been wrong before. Maybe I'll be wrong about this, but that's the assumption that I've made. But all of that kind of leads me to a couple of other points I want to make. And this is one that I think is going to be very interesting if it is indeed the case that the Manning recruitment ends up being a bellwether a little bit of an indication of where college football is going in the future. Because what some people are going to say is, well, B.A., even if Georgia's just a better choice for Manning because it's been a better team than Texas has been, or if they were you know, attracted to play for Kirby Smart more so than a less experienced or less successful, I guess is the better way to say that, a head coach like Steve Sarkeesian, the fact of the matter is, NIL is going to end up being a factor here. Even though that Arch Manning's kind of, you know, talked down on that or basically kind of disregarded that, eventually Texas is just going to come with some big, huge NIL level payment, and Georgia's not going to be able to match all of that. And that's eventually going to be the way all of this ends with Manning taking a big payment to go to Texas. The same fear that some folks have had about Texas A&M leaning on its NIL leverage and advantage to get every top recruit. Obviously, Nick Saban's talked a lot about that. A lot of folks believe that maybe Texas could end up doing the same thing. However, just to keep this inside the boundary of the Arch Manning thing here for a moment, even if Arch Manning was susceptible to being swayed by that, maybe would be, maybe wouldn't, his you know, comments from folks around him would suggest that maybe they're looking at a lot more than that because the Manning family is already pretty rich. Uh, but, but even if he was swayed and susceptible on all of that, it's pretty interesting to me that in the way in which Texas A&M, according to Rumor Mill and everything else, is so obviously an aggressive player in the NIL world right now, it sort of seems like Texas has not really done that to the same degree, correct? I mean, have you noticed, do you follow this stuff closely, that the kind of like really robust rumor mill around Texas A&M, there isn't quite so much of that around the Texas program right now. In fact, a guy that played in the program who had some NIL deals uh, actually says in comparison to another program, the Texas NIL infrastructure isn't nearly as built out as some people think. There's a guy named Casey Thompson, who was a quarterback there at Texas, transferred in Nebraska. Thompson went on a barstool show a few months ago. It was like, I'm blown away by the opportunities for payment I have here in Nebraska, who you would not think of typically as a big powerhouse for NIL. But Thompson said, I'm blown away by the NIL stuff I'm getting here in Nebraska and the way in which everybody's cashing in here in Lincoln in a way that very few people were cashing in on in Austin. Let me let you hear this, and I'll explain why this is relevant in the Arch Manning recruitment after this. This is Casey Thompson from Barstool. I mean, first off, when I I first got here, they told me, when I found out that like 17 or 18 different football players had vehicles, I was like, that's unheard of. That's how we do it here, man. At Texas, it was me, B. John Robinson, and one defensive starter, like three three guys. Nebraska Athletic, there's like 70 or 80 people. 
different people across all sports that have like either an apartment or a car or they're getting nil deals like these deals is like when you say numbers you're gonna make six figures as, as as a player if you're a starter here on the football team you can make over six figures so obviously he's talking up the nebraska nil opportunity but isn't it interesting to hear him say when i was at texas there weren't but three guys that had car deals you look over here you got 70 or 80 guys that have got apartments or cars whatever else basically suggesting at Texas that's not what was going on. So keep this in mind, in the back of your mind, when you think about Georgia versus Texas for Arch Manning, the supposed advantage that Texas has when it comes to NIL, at least up until now, that infrastructure hasn't been fully built out. Now, maybe they just should think Casey Thompson was worth the money, which is certainly a possibility there, but it wasn't uh, only Thompson who was looking around saying, hey, where's my stuff? A lot of other Texas people apparently weren't cashing in either. The Longhorns thought to have very rich boosters. Oil prices are obviously up right now and, you know, using that money to, to fund the program. But one of the guys who was potentially a beneficiary of some of that says, actually, all of that didn't exist quite as much as you might think. So at least keep that in mind when it comes to Georgia versus Texas for Arch Manning, that maybe their ability to money whip their opponents for NIL deals Maybe they're not quite as capable in that regard as some people think, or maybe not quite as willing to lean on those capabilities as some people might think. Then finally, there's this. All of this kind of brings to mind something else we've talked about quite a bit here lately, which is that even without a quarterback of the caliber of what you think Arch Manning might be, Georgia's still doing pretty well. We told you this the other day that over the course of the last three years, Georgia's made a huge climb each of the last three seasons when it comes to points per game georgia averaging almost 10 points per game more than it was averaging uh two you know going back 2019 uh same kind of improvement when it comes to passing yards per attempt georgia goes from you know kind of middle of the pack in the country to inside the top 10 of the country since the 2019 season that georgia's actually been doing really well in that regard performing uh really well despite the fact that it hasn't had an arch manning caliber quarterback or a you know kind of a five-star level guy leading the program over the course of the last couple of years in fact even going into the 2022 season as it stands right now georgia preseason top three type team odds on favorite at least one of the few to return to the college football playoff and yet according to the folks at 24 7 sports georgia still doesn't have even one of the top 25 best quarterbacks in the country i'll show you this from uh 24 7 because a lot of folks have been talking about this so there's no stats and bennett to be found on this list it's you know the bryce young cj stroud caleb williams at the top sec guys like kj jefferson hendon hooker and uh spencer rattler uh others kind of on the list will rogers will georgia will play but a lot of georgia fans were kind of left to wonder you know how come uh stetson bennett right now doesn't stand as one of the 20 best quarterbacks in college football other folks have had their 25 best and uh bennett hasn't been on there either we think that bennett probably is one of the 20 or so best quarterbacks in the country but let's just say for the sake of conversation he's not this is one the manning recruitment's going to be watched so closely because georgia's already won a national championship with a guy who according to smart people was not one of the 20 best in the country georgia is a favorite to return to the playoff and maybe win the championship again still without what a lot of talking head types would say is not one of the 20 best quarterbacks in the country coming up here for this year what if arch manning's everything he's supposed to be what if he chooses georgia what is georgia going to look like once it does have one of those quarterbacks if georgia's scoring 39 points per game which it did last year without a top 20 quarterback what would that offensive talent do with a quarterback who was in the conversation with C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler? What's Georgia going to look like then? What if it does have an offense that's every bit as good as its defense is? What is Georgia going to look like then? This is why I keep using the word bellwether. The idea that the Manning decision is an indication for where college football might be going. And it might be going to a place where the advantage that Georgia has over the rest of college football gets even more pronounced than it currently is. It might be one of those things that Georgia, who dominated the NFL draft this past season with defensive linemen and linebackers, and has certainly produced no shortage of NFL-quality defensive backs, and has obviously for a long time been running back university, and a couple of years ago had two first-round offensive tackles, and has maybe one of the best players in the country playing tight end right now. In the very near future, it could have a quarterback that belongs in that same conversation there as well. And you don't need me to tell you that will be very bad news for the rest of college football. 
My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management, and happy to have you, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast, wherever you find them. The Apple Player, Spotify, Google, post the show each and every day at theworldfamousdognation.com, and we're just happy to have you a part of this and doing what we do here around here and we're so thankful for our friends at Breda Pest Management for making it all possible now listen here's what you know right now we deal with this on a daily basis that money is just tight right now because things are expensive everything seemingly gets more expensive every single day or every single year and for a lot of you you're termite service your pest control service is the same kind of thing you get this like message or phone call or letter in the mail whatever to find out that every single year your rates going up and you know taking care of obviously uh, that kind of stuff is important but you're sort of tired of your rate going up each and every year what if i told you you could make that stop what if i told you you could switch your pest control service switch your termite service and save money instantly just by doing that that's where my friends at Breda Pass Management come into the story because when you make the switch to Breda Pass Management, you are going to save instantly on your termite service, your pest control service. You're going to put more money back in your pocket. That's what Breda Pass Management can do for you. They're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. They're taking care of, uh, of Sanford Stadium, Foley Field, the equestrian complex, all that kind of stuff. And they're going to give you that same level of care for your own home there as well. But most importantly, they're going to put more money back in your pocket there too. They've been taking care of folks in our area since 1975. It's time to make the switch to them. It's time to put more money back in your pocket. Save instantly by making that decision. So find them online. It's BredaPest.com. And if you're listening on our radio podcast let me spell this out for you breda is b-r-e-d-a bredapest.com switch and save with breda pass management here today okay a little bit of a heads up uh yesterday we told you that we were going to be very lucky today had to have the great former georgia linebacker rennie curran on the program and we are looking forward to speaking to rennie here in the very near future but there was a little bit of scheduling conflict rennie had to uh postpone us here today so we'll look forward to speaking to rennie very soon on the show sorry for the bait and switch on that going back to yesterday but we'll eventually catch up with rennie we're just not gonna be able to do that here today but we are looking forward to doing that in the very near future uh we'll get connor riley instead always great to have connor pinch hitting for uh, us on any time uh we did not get a chance to speak to him on his normal day of yesterday he was on some vacation so he's back here today so what do you say we talk some georgia football with him coming up here in just a minute before that i want to go around the doghouse and it's really weird to me. Off-season conversations are always interesting, and there are certain things that seem to develop a momentum of their own. Uh, there is obviously, a, I think, a, a desire out there that college football would hopefully not be quite so rubber stamp easy to predict. Just talked about a moment ago about how you know Georgia just won the national championship a year ago without what people thought of as a great quarterback, and they could do the same thing again this year once again without what some people think of as a great quarterback and the idea that seems easy to predict right now going into the season that George is going to be very good again that's just a real turnoff for a lot of people and I understand that's kind of human nature you want things to be different you want to be surprised by something new but teams like Georgia have a way of just you know not cooperating with you on that they just kind of steamroll through the season Georgia did that a year ago I assuming they're getting ready to do all that again but that does not stop some from wanting to believe in the possibility of, well, maybe, just maybe, something interesting might happen. Maybe, just maybe, the apple cart might be turned over there just a little bit. Surely on this Georgia schedule somewhere, and it's not just Georgia who uh, you know kind of runs up against this. Alabama has maybe for quite some time. Ohio State from time to time there as well. Surely somebody can be a little bit of a fly in the ointment here. And isn't it funny how certain people seem to be gravitating towards a certain team being the one that might be able to do that for UGA. Are you familiar with the movie Mean Girls? The uh, one uh, a girl in there is like, hey, stop trying to make fetch happen. There's a certain sense of like trying to make fetch happen when it comes to Georgia's schedule of, hey, maybe Kentucky could do something to Georgia. Maybe Kentucky could be a, a, a shock the world type game for UJ here this year. The latest example of this, Tom Fornelli, CBS Sports. We told you about this yesterday. He was the one that wrote up the CBS ranking of the top coaches in college football. We'll do a little bit more on this later on in the show here today. But in talking about Mark Stoops, we had inside of his top 20, he talked about the idea of Stoops finally figuring out a way to get past Georgia in the SEC East. And I think that, frankly, uh, Fernelli kind of oversold the idea there. Let me show you this from Fernelli on CBS Sports. 
Uh, this is what he says. And listen, I think that Kentucky's probably one of the more dangerous opponents on Georgia's schedule. It's a road game. But the, the idea that you're talking about a game with Georgia's nearly a three-touchdown favorite is being one of the tough games gives you an idea of how advanced Georgia is compared to most of the teams that it's playing. But nonetheless, uh, Fernelli says, while nobody's expecting Kentucky to topple Georgia for the SECs, at this point, he says, it wouldn't be a major upset if they pulled off a win against the Dogs. Listen, I, I kind of like Tom. I think he's a pretty good writer. Um, I don't have you know, any kind of problem with him. And, of course, opinions are you know just that. But words have meanings. They have specific de- uh, definitions. Kentucky beating Georgia would be a major upset. And it would be shocking, and it should be considered shocking if that were to uh, happen. Georgia didn't play all that well in winning there in 2020 but in the game uh this past year when Kentucky was actually on its way to having a pretty good season Georgia still dragged them all over Sanford Stadium however and those of you who've been with us all offseason know this Fornelli is far from the first person to say hey well maybe Kentucky's got something for Georgia here this year uh Fornelli talking about it in terms of hey wouldn't be that big of an upset if Georgia did that or I should say if Kentucky did that to Georgia. Do you remember Vince Marrow, the Kentucky assistant coach, who was on Kentucky Sports Radio? That's a big media site up there around the Kentucky program. And he was on that show kind of also talking up, talking up the idea that maybe Kentucky might beat Georgia. And a lot of what Fernelli just wrote at CBS Sports, revisiting the former statement from not a media dude, not a fan, but an actual coach on the Kentucky team from the radio. This is just bizarre. Vince Marrow again. You have said that in order for Kentucky to do what you want to do, the next step is beating Georgia. But what will it take for this program to take that next step to beat Georgia? So, I don't know if you remember 18. We were not ready for that game mm-hmm. when it was AB. Was CBS and you could AB. tell early. I mean, yes. we, we fought hard, yes. but you could tell it wasn't going to yes. be there. Yeah. But when we played them last year and went down there, I'm telling you, our guys went in. We were not you know, it was not. We were. We really thought we would win that game. And two yeah. plays go differently. You're in it. The drop that they can't kept showing on the draft coverage, right. and then and he's a great player. So I'm not. I'm not crushing him at oh, all. No. But that little screen pass to Rodriguez, Fortner missed a block on that. And if he had hit that block, Rodriguez was going to score. But I don't think y'all remember. We have three field goals blocked. One deal drops the touchdown pass. That's right. We did have three field goals. And blocked. then we missed the field goal on that. And then we had two more field goals blocked. So we lost thirty to seventeen. If you, I'm just telling you, if we picked that fumble, the one they say was was no, the that fumble, hurt, yes, that's a different game because now they only up by three, and we going into halftime. Have you ever heard more woulda, coulda, shouldas? What's the old line about if wishes and butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas? I mean, like <laughs> he's like, well, if we don't get three field goals blocked, the point is Georgia's got five stars playing on special teams. They block kicks for a living, uh, and uh, the first time we played this. Uh, some folks kind of point this out there too uh to give you an idea how wrong the kentucky assistant was and all that the final score was 30 to 13 not 30 to 17 they had to score in the final play of the game just to make it even seem that close and then the whole idea of going back 2018 you know the radio host that's matt jones who you hear interviewing marrow saying well you know we fought hard against georgia in 2018 final score that day was uh was uh 34 to 17 34 to 17 that's the game that that they supposedly fought so hard in uh losing 34 to 17 there uh that day on that so i don't quite know what you do uh with all of that but uh but nonetheless uh that's kind of the deal there just for fun because it's fun in light of uh, tom fernelli saying that uh maybe kentucky could pull an upset over georgia wouldn't be the most shocking thing if it did let me let you hear a little bit more of vince marrow just kind of remind you what might be at stake when georgia plays uh, kentucky later on this year once again here's a wildcat assistant talking about maybe kentucky getting past georgia one more time we physically thought and kirby even said it when they keep asking about all these media days he said they keep saying about kentucky he said, are you guys serious he said that's one of our toughest games every year you talk to our players so i think Again, going into this year, you know, you take every game, but I think it's going to come down to that game. I think it's November 19th here or something like Next that. Next to last game, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I, I like our – when you got – You like having it at the end of the year? It's the next to last game of the year. It's going to be cold probably. Yeah. It's going to be – and Kroger Field will be rocking. It'll be cold. It'll be a good time to play some football. It's going to be cold, and Kroger Field is going to be rocking. I know UK fans love their hoops, which is going to be 
pretty good because on that particular Saturday, our prediction is that Georgia dribbles Kentucky like a basketball. And uh, I don't care how cold it is or I don't care how supposedly rocking Kroger Field Commonwealth Stadium is going to be. I don't quite know that the Wildcats quite have as much in store for UGA as Vince Marrow seems to think they do, or maybe Tom Fornelli at least suggests as a possibility that they might be able to do. But nonetheless, that's just kind of what it is. So Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management here today. Uh, wanted to have a little fun with that in light of the uh, write-up there at CBS. Also, as we told you a moment ago, no Rennie Curran for us here today. We'll get a chance to catch up with former Georgia linebacker here coming up again very soon. Uh, always look forward to having a chance to have those uh, great former dogs in the program, so we'll look forward to doing that then there on that. But as a way of kind of following up on everything else going on around UGA right now, instead, uh, let's talk to uh, Connor Riley on everything going on with the dogs as we head towards a uh, pretty busy summer here. It's Connor Riley today on Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Fresh off a little bit of vacation, good enough uh, to have Connor Riley join us today in place of uh, the guy we're supposed to have, Rennie Kern, on the show. We'll look forward to talking to Rennie again, as I said a moment ago, uh, very soon. Uh, but, Connor, welcome back. Glad to have you here. We were just kind of having some fun with – there's obviously a desire, and listen – when it's other teams we do the same thing everybody wants to kind of find the contrarian opinion or the way to stand out so if you've got a prohibitive favorite anywhere ohio state in the big 10 alabama in the sec west finding the team that could beat them or could challenge them is just fun and interesting to do this time of year it's not malicious that people want to do that with georgia but from the perspective of being a dog here it can be kind of funny but from your standpoint if georgia is threatened in the regular season who do you think does it i don't i mean Oregon, maybe, but, you know, Dan Lanning is a first-time head coach, and that's going to be his first career game, and, and that's so much of an unknown of what he is and what that team's going to be. It, 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 there's a reason Georgia's a double-digit favorite in that game, and while I do think the talent is, is pretty good there at Oregon, especially on the line, along the line of scrimmage, you know, I, I think this being the first game of the year probably mitigates some of that because you figure Georgia's probably healthy enough to to be able to match up well along those lines of scrimmage. Um you know, I, I could see a team late in November in that stretch where they're home for Tennessee at Mississippi State at Kentucky, three straight weeks, three straight really distinct different offenses. Uh, I'd probably say that Mississippi State game just because of the way where it falls on the schedule the week after playing a very up-tempo Tennessee team, and then you have to go on the road the week after that. If there's, a, you know, a trap game where Georgia gets tripped up, it's there, but I just think even with all Georgia loss from a talent standpoint a season ago, the schedule just doesn't really produce a lot of teams that go, that's a game where Georgia, you know, single-digit favorite at that. So I would probably say either the opener against Oregon because of the talent the Ducks have or that game against Mississippi State in November just because of where it falls on the schedule. And, you know, I could tell at the beginning of your answer you're kind of moving the same direction that my thought process is on this. While it's natural to look for who it could be, it doesn't have to be anybody. I mean, you know, Georgia doesn't have to play a close game. In fact, for the most part, at least 11 straight games last year, Georgia didn't play uh, really any kind of close game there at all. And there really isn't a 2021 Clemson on this schedule right now, a team that's as good on one side of the ball as Clemson was defensively, especially at the beginning of the season when they were fully healthy there on that side of the ball. But while it's always natural to kind of find out, even for Georgia fans who want to kind of like awaken their inner Larry Munson and wonder, okay, what game should I be worried about? Or the Georgia naysayer or just the kind of the college football you know, commentariat who just kind of wants to have uh, a strong opinion about something. It's natural to want to, to want to gravitate towards who it might be. But it actually doesn't have to be anybody. And I think uh, if you look at Vegas point spreads, things like that, more likely than not, Georgia won't play a close game in the regular season. Right. And, you know, again, I think when we look back at last season, like there's a world where Georgia is even more dominant where they are, you know, saying, hey, if guys get hurt, guys get hurt. We have enough raw talent behind them to to make up for it, where if they wanted to play full four quarters, we're going to beat the snot out of you they could have done that and won each game by 40 50 points but i think smartly as we saw at the end of the season they elected to let up a little bit there in, in those third late third fourth quarters when they were already up by so much and, and that's given guys some opportunities to play you know this defensive line yes they lose three first round defensive draft picks, 
or three first-round defensive linemen. This defensive line still is probably going to be the best in the SEC with Jalen Carter. I've got a story on him coming later today, and there's still a lot of talent there. And, you know, I mentioned the Mississippi State game earlier. By that point in the year when Georgia probably has three, in my opinion, toughest games in terms of, you know, when they are and who the opponents are, by that point in the year, the Georgia defense should be experienced enough to make up for the losses that, say, Nicobe Dean, Lewis Seen, uh, Darian Kendrick, the experience level that they brought to the Georgia team. By that point in the year, that shouldn't be an issue. And so, yeah, sure, if you want to be a pessimist about this, I understand that. But look at Alabama, and I know it's you know, a, a whole other can of worms there, but they've dominated regular season after regular season after regular season where they might have one or two close games, sure. But Alabama's been over under at 11, 11 and a half seemingly every year for the past decade, and there's a reason for that. I think Georgia is arriving at that same point now. Uh, obviously, the Eli Holstein commitment to Alabama can only help Georgia in its pursuit of Arch Manning. Doesn't necessarily guarantee it, but obviously eliminates seemingly a pretty strong contender. I'm actually more interested, though. Why don't you think Arch Manning is going to Alabama? The uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist in me wants to say that uh, it's because I think Arch knows that Nick Saban won't be there when Arch finishes his career and I, I personally wouldn't want to deal with a coaching change yeah. in, in the time of my college career uh, I, I definitely think there's something to be said about the idea of stability at both Texas and Georgia right now and you know I mean obviously you know I, I think Kirby Smart is the you know has 110% Job, st- stop, job stability. He's going to get a massive contract here soon that will make him one of, if not the highest paid coach in the country. And if you're Texas, yes, you know, uh, you'll have some volatile boosters there. But after the way things went with Tom Herman and after the way things went with Charlie Strong, uh, things have to work with Steve Sarkeesian. And I do think he's probably going to be afforded more patience there than we've seen from Texas in recent years. And so I, I think the stability that comes with those two programs right now is a big reason why they're the ones in the running for Arch Manning because the reality is the most important thing to Arch Manning I choose to believe is who is going to provide him the best scenario to get him to the NFL and if you are offering stability uh, I think that's a really big sign for where Arch is going to end up going and, and you know Todd Munkin being in his, his third year in the program and looking like you know, he's going to be here for the long haul now. That's the way, you know, I don't think that's something we were discussing maybe a year ago. Yeah. I think that's another positive sign for Georgia in the recruitment of Archman. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I want you to be fair and balanced here for a moment, though, because I just believe Arch Manning's coming to Georgia, and I look at a lot of deficiencies with the Texas program as the reason why they are, including the fact that, as of yet, they haven't been quite as aggressive in the NIL world as some people kind of thought they would be um we kind of played some audio to that regard before you joined us here but clearly they're a hat on the table here and the longer this goes and if, if arch manning does truly take this into the season then it gives texas a chance to, to win him over and obviously they have a lot to sell him on when he visits there later on in june so because i spend so much time making the case for georgia would you mind making the case for texas here for a moment yeah i, I think you look at Steve Sarkeesian's, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has long had an ability to relate to and get the most out of quarterbacks. And when you're a college quarterback trying to get to the NFL, I think that's something certainly attractive. You look at the guys that he worked with at Alabama specifically in recent memory, Tua Tagovailoa and Mac Jones could not have been more different as prospects and, and even so much their time as college athletes. And Sarkeesian found a way to get a lot out of both of them and put both of them in positions to be first-round draft picks and ultimately get to the NFL level and, and do that. And I definitely think and uh, there's an understanding there of, you know, that he is going to have the ability and, and a way to get, you know, the most out of Arch Manning. He's proven that he can do that with quarterbacks. Can he run a program successfully? Can he build Texas into a championship contender? that's the big thing that, that needs to be seen. And I think that's, you know, if you are a Georgia fan, I think that might actually be a good sign that Arch is taking this, that he's, it seems like he is taking his recruitment into the regular season because if, if Texas, you know, has an 8-4 and four or a 7-5 and five year and they struggle once again, which, you know, a lot of the issues with Texas, it hasn't been talent. It's been the things that they do Monday through Friday in terms of getting up to the game. 
Um, so, you know, if Texas has another slog of a season, that's going to cast further doubt there on, on what Sarkeesian is able to do because he's going to have Quinn Ewers there who was the Arch Manning before Arch Manning in the previous recruiting cycle. And, and so it, it, I do think it's fair to wonder, you know, if, if you're not able to do this with Quinn Ewers, who's a similar type prospect to Arch, what makes me think that it's going to be any different when I get there? And so, I, you know, I think with Georgia, on the other hand, Georgia doesn't need Arch Manning. Uh, you know, Georgia's going to end up with a quarterback in this class, whoever it is. Georgia's probably still going to win 11, 12 games, get into a college football playoff, maybe even win a national championship. They've, seen, they've shown you can do that with Stetson Bennett. They've shown, hey, you know, five-star quarterbacks don't always work out the way you think they will. And Georgia still finds ways to win without them. So I think that is something important to keep in mind in the greater Arch Manning sweepstakes here. Last topic for you here. Uh, we've said before, we like lists. Lists are just fun to debate. They don't really matter all that much. But, you know, uh, we like having a f- good time arguing about things that don't really matter. Uh, 24-7 Sports but its a list of top 20 quarterbacks. We see some of this kind of stuff, you know, this time of year. And, you know, the 24-7 is the one that I can kind of cite, but I mean, there, there have been some others as well. And Stetson Bennett isn't on that list right now. Do you think Stetson Bennett's one of the 20 best quarterbacks in college football? Yeah. Statistically, I, I have a hard time going against that. Look, I mean, so, so much of this still, I think, goes back to who he was as a recruit six years ago. And if he's even a, a, a you know, a 200 you know, 200-ranked four-star quarterback. We're not talking about Stetson Bennett the, the same way that we are. But, you know, as we've seen time and time again, as we've heard Kirby Smart talk about, for a variety of reasons, that recruiting ranking tends to follow you. And, you know, a, a lot of people putting these lists together, they're not watching, you know, every Stetson Bennett pass. They're not watching every pass thrown across the country. I'm sure there are people out there that say, we'll leave us as a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. But that's based largely on, you know, physical measurable that's not based on what he did last season we'll leave us through more interceptions that have more turnovers than Stetson Bennett and had fewer touchdowns than Stetson Bennett did last season and so you know these lists I understand what they're going for but uh, if you're out there reading them I would say take them with a grain of salt because there's no way that someone is, is accurately watching and, and consuming and ranking 20 plus quarterbacks even the guys at pro football focus that's why I think you've seen Kirby Smart pushed back on sort of that analysis before. George is very happy with what Stetson Bennett brings to this team. Is he a perfect quarterback? No. But as he demonstrated last year, he's a quarterback that's good enough to win a national championship. And when you're a program like Georgia, that's something that you need. And I think they pretty clearly have that box checked off. Well, I'll give you my conspiracy theory on this. And, uh, Michael, if you don't mind, would you mind putting, for those on video, the the graphic back up from 24-7 sports at <laughs> the top 20? Like, one of the things you see on there, and this is not disparaging anybody from 24-7 sports because I think they you know do pretty good work, but there's a pretty clear – attraction to transfer quarterbacks you know dylan gabriel caleb williams uh spencer rattler i think that if stetson bennett had transferred to i don't know you know pick some you know middling school whatever else i think there's a yeah let's say a transfer to purdue i think there's a chance he'd be on this list i I think that bennett would have been a lot more interesting to a lot more people had he made the decision after you know leading georgia national championship to go transfer to somewhere else where he would maybe in the minds of some get the love he's supposed to get or whatever the narrative would have been but had bennett transferred somewhere i think that bennett would actually be getting more love for what he did at georgia but somehow, you know, staying at UGA, he becomes like the establishment candidate and people want to kind of, you know, find somebody more interesting than that. But I think it's fairly obvious here that there's a little bit of an obsession on the part of some to kind of gravitate towards transfer quarterbacks. And one way or another, I don't think the story of this season is going to be told by transfer quarterbacks. I don't. I believe it's quarterbacks at places where they have been previously who are going to have a lot to say about who does what. I don't just mean Bennett, Georgia. I mean K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas. I mean Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. You know, I mean, you know, C.J. Stratt at Ohio State. You know, the idea that the best quarterbacks in the country this year are going to be guys who darted from one place to go somewhere else. I actually, if you're going to give me the two populations here, I'll take guys who've been more entrenched as opposed to uh, guys who are bolting for new homes. Well, honestly, it does compel me to admit that, uh, or to point out that Hennon Hooker was a transfer quarterback. That's true. Tech. But I, I think That's your larger true. point there is, is still correct in that, you know, he, he's in his second year with this program now. He, he, he knows what it is like at Tennessee. He knows what it is like to live in Nashville. He knows what it is like to play for Josh Heifel. 
And, you know, I haven't seen the list from 247, but I'm guessing based on what you said, Spencer Rattler is on that. Oh, yeah. Spencer Rattler was benched last year. How, how like he was just outright benched? How and everyone is willing to overlook that. I think because of who he was as a as a prospect, because of yeah. who he was as a recruit, because he was a five star. We were told this guy was the best quarterback in that class, a historically weak recruiting class in that quarterback position, and he is still cashing in on that. And I'll, I'll say this very comfortably, and I know there are a ton of stats, Stetson Bennett detractors out there. Give me Stetson Bennett eight days a week over Spencer Rattler uh, this season. Uh, these two teams are going to play September 17th. Uh, I, I know Georgia's probably, you know, Georgia's the more talented team. Stetson Bennett's going to have a better game that day than Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I, I feel very comfortable saying that. I know what we're going to see from Stetson. And why, sure, you know, new situation, maybe Spencer Rattler can perform better. You know, maybe some of these transfer players perform better. As Stetson Bennett quite literally showed last year, when you have another year in the system and more continuity, you can also make a big leap there. And I think a lot of people, as sort of we made the same mistake last season, assume that Stetson just wasn't capable of getting better. When I think in reality, there's a, a very real world where he makes more improvements this offseason. He's going to, you know, put up Bryce Young numbers, no, but you know, 35 touchdown passes for Stetson Bennett is a very real possibility. This I think that's right, Connor, and I think it's good stuff. Thank you so much for being here. We'll look forward to reading you back here again at dognation.com, obviously getting ready for a very busy June with recruits and everything else is going on, getting ready to defend that national title on the field there as well. So we'll look forward to talking to you about that then, and thanks for being with us here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, man. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think a lot of what Connor says there about Bennett is just just right. I think I think it's true. And I do think this kind of stuff is uh, fun there. And I, I do think there is a little bit of a natural tendency to want to, like, move a guy to a new place and expect it to get, you know, very, you know, very robust in terms of success right away. And, you know, uh, you know, guys who've been at their place a year or more, I just think they're kind of set up for more success in that. It's less interesting to mention them. Uh, but the, but it, it's almost like it, it's almost like not transferring is the new transferring because it used to be that when you were a really good quarterback that meant you were a hot commodity that meant you could transfer to somewhere else but it's also one of those things that a lot of the guys who end up transferring are also guys who have a little bit of baggage for whatever reason and you know sometimes that, that's their own doing and sometimes it's, they're just victim of circumstances but there's usually a little bit of baggage around you if you're looking to move on give me the guy who doesn't feel like he needs to transfer give me the guy who's humming along with his offense and like i said this kind of sounds like a stats minute type thing it doesn't have to be um i mean look at kj jefferson arkansas give me a guy like that doing year three with kendall bryles you know give me a guy like hendon hooker coming back for a year two uh in that josh heupel system you know give me some of the some of those guys who've kind of been you know where they are and didn't feel the need to move on that kind of tells you something in this day and age because a lot of these transfer quarterbacks, they end up, hey, maybe not always being what they're supposed to be. In fact, in some cases, they end up transferring and not starting. There's a very good chance, like Jackson Dart uh, from USC to Ole Miss. Look, you listen to the chatter coming out of Oxford. It is not obvious that Dart's even going to win that starting job. Huge fanfare when he transferred into the program. That was the quarterback that Lane Kiffin seemingly wanted more than any other. And you know, obviously, a lot of that program's prestige is kind of built around. Oh, this is the place that people transfer. You know, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin's the portal master. With well, a high-profile quarterback from USC, in that particular case, there's a chance that he might not even start. And sometimes that's the way it goes. All right, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and of course, great chance for me to remind you of you know kind of crummy weather uh, here the last couple of days a little bit you know not perfect weather at least uh but it's beautiful weather in the bahamas right now it's beautiful weather all across the caribbean and you can experience that for yourself on your own royal caribbean cruise vacation i hope you will check it out our friends at the cruise and vacation authority can help you do that tcava.com that's tcava.com you can also give them a call 770-952-8300 that's 770-952-8300 and i do truly believe you should use an expert travel agent like that to help you book your cruise vacation i'll tell you why like I'm someone who likes this kind of thing and I you know I spend a lot of time you know looking at all the various cruise ships and all the various options they have available and that's all fine and well 
But listen, there's a lot to be known about this kind of thing. And there are certain itineraries that might benefit you and your family more so than others. There are certain ships that might have some things to offer that uh, others might not. And if you look at, let's say you want like the Playmaker Sports Bar. Okay, so that's on this ship. It's on this ship, but it may not be quite on this ship. They have a different restaurant instead of that. And so there's just a lot of options involved with planning the perfect Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So choosing a you know travel agent like our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority just help you navigate the, all those options and make the best decision for your cruise uh, vacation. So I hope you do enjoy your time on a, Ro- a Royal Caribbean cruise ship here later on this year. And I hope you'll use a great travel agency like our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority to help you get that done. All right, speaking of lists, I wanted to do this yesterday. I just didn't quite have time, so I'll do some of this today. Let's talk about the top 25 coaches, according to CBS Sports, and the SEC names who are there. We discussed the guys at the top there a little bit earlier. Let me kind of focus on some of the others here for a moment. Sam Pittman's one of the amazing stories in college football. Now, we love Pittman. Georgia fans, of course, all do. And yet, even with our kind of natural affection for him, I think the Georgia fans have no problem cheering for Pittman to do well. Arkansas, so far from UGA, their interests, you know, so rarely cross that it's just pretty easy for Georgia fans to be happy for Pittman. But even though we would be motivated to talk him up no matter what, the truth is he's knocking it out of the park at Arkansas. This was a guy that when he first took the job on the basis of having, you know, never coached a game before, when CBS ranked these coaches going into the 2020 season, do you know that Pittman was the very last coach on the list thought to be the worst coach in Power 5? Now, that's slightly unfair because he had no track record to speak of. All the guys with, uh, with no records are near the bottom of that list. But it was just easy to put him at the bottom because he'd only been an offensive line coach, never been a coordinator. Most people thought he'd never be a head coach at all. That's just not the path that his career was kind of taking him down. Then, lo and behold, he got that job. And lo and behold, he, uh, against an incredibly tough schedule in 2021, more games than people thought. We predicted that, by the way, but nonetheless, it still happened. Came back in 2021, he was even better. Now he's the 22nd best coach in college football, according to CBS Sports, and I don't think that ranking is inaccurate. Here's the thing I'll say, is that the template for Pittman was Ed Orgeron. You know, everybody was kind of going down the road for a while of, Give me the former Saban assistant. Give me the like the guy that burns the candle at both ends. Give me that sort of boundless, tenacious energy. Give me that, give me that, give me that. But the price that comes along with that is, is that things aren't often always very fun. I think a lot of folks who've worked with Nick Saban will tell you that was certainly the case, that he just kind of grinds you down pretty fast. In a place like George with Kirby Smart, that's kind of all fine and well because George is winning. And as long as that's the case, the, the winning produces the fun. But if you're not winning the level Georgia is, that kind of hard-driving Saban-style coach kind of wears on you pretty thin. So pretty clearly there is an avenue for the opposite of that, the kind of fun-loving, let's be a little bit more relaxed, let's have a good time here a little bit. But also you can't be too sort of jovial and gregarious without winning. Otherwise, that act kind of wears thin too. So Sam Pittman, the door for him at a place like Arkansas was open because of what Ed Orgeron was doing there at LSU, a guy who loves the state of Louisiana, who wanted to have a little bit more relaxed style as a head coach. And ultimately now Orgeron's gone, but that market kind of cornered now by Pittman, who loves the state of Arkansas as well as the university, who is kind of bringing a relaxed mood to the head coaching position there. He's hired great coordinators, and he's having a ton of success, and I do believe the arrow is still pointing up. Lane Kiffin comes in at number 18 on the list. Uh, Pretty clearly, Kiffin had a great season last year by Ole Miss standards, and coming back and trying to replicate that with a new crop of transfers, it'll be interesting to see how he builds on that here this year. Mark Stoops, as we talked about before, is 16th on this list. Stoops is to me now with the media what Dan Mullen used to be when he was at Mississippi State. There's a certain sense in which Kind of the same way that, you know, uh, wannabe hip friend of yours always wants to, like, love the cool band that's not on the radio all the time or whatever the modern version of the radio is. Um, there's also a version of that when it comes to college football coaches. It's very easy to say, oh, I think that Nick Saban's a great coach. But it's more interesting to say a coach who's doing more with less, that's a great coach. And Dan Mullen used to be the hipster choice of certain people to say, that's the guy who's really doing the best coaching job in the SEC. That's the guy doing more with less. Well, obviously, uh, Mullen got exposed at Florida, and so now the version of that is Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Now, I do genuinely think that Stoops is a pretty good coach, and I do genuinely think on a week-in, week-out basis, Kentucky's pretty pretty tough to play. 
Uh, is he the 16th best coach in college football? That seems a little aggressive for me. Uh, but nonetheless, that's that's kind of the love that he's getting there right now. Brian Kelly's at seven, and Jimbo Fisher's at five. And let me just say this really quickly, then we'll move off this topic. Everybody wants to look at Jimbo Fisher through the prism of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Those are the coaches that he's chasing, guys who've won national championships in the SEC, Nick Saban in particular, because uh, Jimbo used to work for him, and they're in the same division. But the real comparison to me is Brian Kelly at LSU, because LSU should be competing for national championships, but obviously felt the need to move on from Ed Orgeron. Which program do you think is better set up for success in the future? Is it Kelly at LSU? Is it Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M? We don't have enough information about Kelly's tenure in Baton Rouge to be able to say that right now. But ultimately, this is what it really comes down to. It's almost unfair to grade Jimbo Fisher on the, why aren't you as good as Alabama yet? That's not really a fair thing to grade him on, maybe. But all the money that's been spent, the fact that LSU wanted Jimbo Fisher and couldn't get him, I think if you're Jimbo Fisher, the thing that you have to demonstrate this year is, is that as a program, you are way better, way further ahead of what Brian Kelly's building there at LSU. That's the benchmark that that Jimbo, I think, accurately should be measured by. And it's not unfair to say you've had a several-year head start. You've got the number one recruiting class. You better be dadgum way better than LSU. And over the course of the next two years, that better remain true there too. And knowing that you're competing against what somebody says is the seventh-best coach in college football in Brian Kelly – um, you better make sure that you keep that advantage where it's sort of supposed to be. And conversely, on the part of Brian Kelly here, that seventh best coach in college football status you've built for yourself, if it indeed is an accurate ranking, all of that happens somewhere else. It happened in South Bend, Indiana. Now you're at LSU, and you're expected to win very, very quickly. And there will be no excuses for anything but that. The last three coaches who've had your job, they all won national championships in pretty short order. It'll be interesting to see how Brian Kelly handles that pressure as well. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management, I want to fully turn our attention back to UGA here for a moment. And this is kind of another one of those things that we're doing today, just kind of for fun. Obviously, we'll never get tired of looking back on Georgia winning a national championship. And one of the guys who recently did that was one of the catalysts for that national championship. I'm talking about Jordan Davis, who in Philadelphia, going through rookie minicamp there with the Eagles, was interviewed by USA Today. And the reporter asked Davis about, you know, whether this was the greatest Georgia defense of all time. And look, look, you know, obviously there's an attempt to want to kind of say the right thing in an interview like this, but I still am left marveled at just how far out of his way davis goes to seem humble at every turn it's really amazing and when you want to explain how it was that georgia won a national championship the mindset that davis still has about what he and his teammates accomplished while at georgia i think is a perfect explanation for that so with usa today from a couple of days ago this is jordan davis talking about the georgia defense would you say this is the best defense ever in Georgia history? I was. Ooh. You can talk yourself up. Nah, it's not even about myself. That's the thing. That's the thing about our defense. It's never about us. It was their individual thing. It was never the individual accolades that got us to that point. It was the team. But it's a lot of great teams that have been through Georgia. But we have definitely solidified ourselves as one of the greats. And I think that was one of the things that we want to do as a whole, which is be great, be different. You know, you think about all the great teams and all the great players that come through Georgia, and for them not to win so a national many. championship, it's like, wow. Thanks. And for us to do it, it's crazy. I mean, it's just amazing, right? I love the reporter's question to him, of, or at least uh, she sort of eggs him on by saying, it's okay to talk yourself up. And he says, it's not even about me. It's about my teammates. Like, after all this time, if Jordan Davis wanted to take a bow and said, hey, look what we did, look what I did. Because Davis won the Nagurski Award. He won the uh, Outland Trophy. Look what I did. Like, he's earned the right to say, look what I did. But he still doesn't want to do it. And, listen, if he did, it wouldn't be wrong. But the fact that after all this time, he remains so selfless about what George accomplished. I think it says something pretty good about him. And I really think it helps explain how Georgia did what it did. And that's why winning a championship is always going to be a little bit trickier than how good of a team can I buy, whether it's the professional sports level or college sports emulating professional sports. This is not fantasy football. 
This is not purchasing 11 players and throwing them out there and letting them do what they're going to do. This is learning how to play together. And if you don't have at least an inclination in the direction towards humility, it is going to be hard to play with somebody else because when they have success, you're left thinking, well, what does that say about me if they're the one that's having success? Or when you don't have success, easy to point the finger of blame at somebody else for why it's not occurring. But when you truly do put your team ahead of your own personal ambitions, all of a sudden it helps you to weather adversity, but also helps you to endure the kind of pats on the back that come when things are going well. I know it seems trite. I know it seems, you know, cliche or whatever else, but Jordan Davis is the real deal. Like he really is that guy. That's authentically who he is. And I got to tell you, uh, it's great to see him having uh, such a um, a nice perspective on how things went down there for Georgia this season. Like I said, that's not all that important necessarily, but just kind of for fun. Jordan Davis recently looking back on the success there at UGA. I, I love to see that and a great way to wrap up here today. Now, from a personality standpoint, possibly the exact opposite. We can bring that music down just a tiny little bit if you don't mind. Uh, from a personality standpoint, a uh, person who's probably the exact opposite of Jordan Davis, not <laughs> just not his style, is James Cook. And uh, we believe that Cook could be uh, a huge part of that Buffalo Bills offense. And I think that he's going to be a very intriguing weapon there uh, for an offense that's already humming along pretty good. But for every smile that Jordan Davis gives you and for every money quote that Davis gives you, Cook is just a lot more reserved. And some folks in Buffalo are kind of already noticing that. Let me show you this on uh, Twitter here. Make this our golden shoe here today. (laughs) Cook is all business, man. He uh, keeps to himself. He's all business. Or a local reporter on TV says, uh, James Cook does know the, the bills are good, right? And you see uh, Cook in three different photos there, not really smiling in any of them. Listen, that's just the perspective that James brings to the table, but you'll be more than happy to be smiling about him when he's out there working on that football field for you. But uh, funny stuff there will make that a golden shoe for today. Also remind you, there are no smiles to be had in Cook's home state of Florida when it comes to those lousy, stinking Gators because it's been 4,885 days since they've won a national championship and by the way speaking of the gator hater countdown how about 157 days from right now dogs back in Jacksonville. they don't have james cook anymore they don't have jordan davis anymore but they still got plenty to beat up on florida and we'll look forward to doing that then and look forward to seeing you here tomorrow on dog nation daily presented by breda past management and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take some of your comments here um Lauren, what do you got on the uh, dognation.com comment section? Also mentioning how the Eli Holstein commitment to Alabama pretty much eliminates them from the chase for Arch Manning. I believe that's probably true. Uh, Columbus Dog also checking in uh, saying Manning in Tuscaloosa or Manning in Athens. He says Athens is going to win that. All that Bama has to offer Manning right now is really good wide receiver uh, recent history. So I just don't see him going to Texas. Just not. Just don't. Not in the SEC. Not going against the best defenses in practice or games not getting better quicker by going there and he may not be ready when the time comes to 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 play because i don't know he says the georgia bulldogs the team that are going to get him he says so that's columbus dog kind of weighing in there on that i mean the thing i've kind of gone back to on this is is that we had folks come on our shows over the course of the last year that said you know fundamentally the manning family is an sec family and that's why he wasn't going to go to clemson and that's why he wouldn't go to virginia there are probably a lot of reasons why he wouldn't go to virginia but his mom did go to UVA, so we took a visit up there, but ultimately he's not going to a place like that. He's just not going to one of these non-SEC schools because fundamentally the Mannings are an SEC family. Well, that puts Texas in kind of an interesting position. They are about to be an SEC school at some point in time. We don't exactly know when yet, but eventually it's going to happen. But are they SEC enough yet for Manning? I've suggested they're not. There's just a cultural identity the sec kind of has the programs outside the sec don't now texas fans love their football and obviously texas is a hotbed for football in a lot of ways but it's just different than the sec and in fact i think arch has actually done a pretty good job articulating some of this you know he has said complimentary things in the past about austin but he didn't call it a college town you know he called it something different and you've heard me say this before that at this point austin is a little bit different than a college town despite the fact that the state university of texas is located in that town it's not quite college town feel it's just something a little more cosmopolitan than that now i think but athens as it's famously been recounted here manning has expressed his love for that as the best college town that he's been to doesn't mean he thinks that athens is necessarily better than austin but he 
thinks it's different, and the difference at least provides some appeal to him there. So I think that's all worth considering is that if Alabama truly is eliminated, and by the way, we don't know for sure yet that he won't take the official visit to Alabama. He may still take that visit. I mean, the fact of the matter is if Alabama thought it could get Manning, they'd probably kick Holstein to the curb. But uh, but but if Alabama sticks with Holstein because it knows Manning's not coming, in the comparison between Georgia and Texas, which makes the two programs both different on and off the field, uh, that's going to really matter, and it's something we will continue to pay close attention to. Thanks for being here for our podcast, Cool Down, here today. Thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it possible. Find him online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. But you need to find them online at rsandrews.com for more on that. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.